Is your old furnace or AC struggling to provide you comfort? Having new equipment can save you on utilities and repairs and offers increased comfort and improved operation. For a limited time, Aquarius Home Services is offering a new AC or furnace starting as low as only $45 per month. That's right, $45 a month. Contact my friends over at Aquarius Home Services and request a free estimate. With your comfort and safety as our top priority, a specialist will visit your home, discuss your needs, and provide options that make sense for you and your home. Contact Aquarius Home Services today to get a free estimate. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention Russo sent you. Welcome to this week's edition of Worst Seats in the House. Michael Russo is on vacation, so we got a special guest tonight. My partner on Valley Sports North, Wes Walls, is with us tonight. we got a great crowd here at Tuttles and Hopkins. Thanks for coming out. Great turnout. This is awesome. And thrilled to have Wes with us. Tim Laudner, who's my partner on Twins Live during the summer on Valley Sports North, is going to join us here a little bit later on, so it's a, it should be exciting. We'll welcome your questions when we get a little later in the show as well and feel free to put them on the spot because Tim thinks he's a hockey expert Wes thinks he's a baseball guy so this will be great and but let's start talking hockey Wes because we are coming off of maybe as exciting a weekend of hockey in St. Paul during the regular season as we've ever seen with the come from behind an overtime win against Columbus and then the overtime win in come from behind fashion against Colorado. There's something special happening over in St. Paul and I don't really know how else to define it. Yeah, I, I don't either. It's just, uh, it's, it feels like, you know, when we're doing the games and, and they happen to be down late in the games and we had that feeling earlier in the season. We were doing some games together there and we were talking after the second period the while they're down two, two goals and we just, we both looked at each other and we go, well, I wonder who's going to score the big goal tonight and that's kind of the same situation we're in is, is, you know, what was going on earlier with the Wild when they were having all these uh, pulling goalies and scoring, you know, two goals with the, with the, with the goalie on the bench. And uh, so it's been, honestly, Anthony, it's been a, just a, an absolutely remarkable season and, and one that, you know, if you watched hockey for 50 years, you might see once every 50 years. It's been remarkable. We were talking about that as we walked out after the game yesterday against Colorado that there have been so many moments where we've walked out of the rink this year and looking at each other saying, you might go 10 years without seeing what we've seen in a month or two months or half a season. And the, you, you mentioned the extra attacker goals. To me, the, I don't know how you define this. 20 times they've scored with the goaltender pulled this season. Nobody else in the league has more than 12. Only one team has 12. Nobody else has more than eight. I haven't seen anything like it. How do you describe, how do you define, or can you explain why they're able to do that? Oh, that's going to be fun. Try to explain that. <laughs> Thanks a well, lot. Well, you got more time here than you do yeah, no in kidding. between whistles. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I, I, the one thing I will say, you know, having the goalie pulled early forces, obviously, the Wild have much more skill in their lineup now than they ever have ha- had. You know, you got guys like Fiala and Kaprizov, guys that can finish. So 
you know, when you pull the goalie with seven, eight minutes left and you need two goals, it's it, your anxiety level almost kind of comes down. So when you get in the offensive zone and you're six on five, you're almost waiting. You're, you're so good at moving the puck around, you don't feel the pressure and the anxiety of trying to force the puck in there and, and, and maybe bang it in and, and score a quick goal. They're, they're moving the puck around. They're taking their time when it's the right time to get the puck to the net. And then they're, they're you know, obviously spending some, some time scoring some goals around the front of the net. But it's, uh, uh, it's like, as we talked about earlier, it's been remarkable. And, um, you know, we, how many years ago was it? Remember, we, Patrick Wow used to be the guy that used to pull the, the goalie with four 14 minutes left. When, when, we, when the Wild played him in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah. And he, in that playoff series, was pulling the goalie with two and a half, three minutes left in games. And at that time, it was unheard of. Yeah. Dean Evason is quadrupling that. No, I know, and, and and listen, it's paid off. So this 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 coaching staff of the Minnesota Wild, I mean, there's there's some trailblazing going right now. They're trying some new things, and and listen, is it eighteen more? How many more? 18, 18, 18 18 like ten, games left. ten, yeah, but ten oh. more than the next like team as far as when they're pulling their goaltenders. Don't think there's not teams looking around the National Hockey League, and and especially when the season's over and looking at what Dean Evason was doing in Minnesota to pick up an extra five or six. Uh, goals and you think about the trailblazing and trying to do new things the wilds four on three goal yesterday four forwards. four forwards right so innovation and thinking outside the box and doing different things maybe that another coach wouldn't anthony has well, been impressive so that i wanted to get into that with you because from the start the day dean evison got hired i sat down with him and the very first thing he said is I'm not any different now as the head coach as opposed to the assistant. And everything he said was we and us. It's our power play. It's not my power play and his penalty kill. It's our defensive zone coverage. It's our neutral zone. He wanted it to be a collaborative effort. And Brett McLean, the assistant coach, was the one who came to him yesterday and said, here's how I think we should start the four-on-three in overtime with the four forwards. And the fact that Dean, Why did he know we were going to have a power play? Well, they, they, the penalty happened. No, no, 15 I, I know, seconds but you left. said the day before they did. No, no, no. He said he went to him on the bench. Oh yeah, on the bench. Okay. Uh, he said it yesterday, meaning the game was yesterday. God, I'm sorry, my bad. Okay, <laughs> I know, I know these are running together, but yeah, we haven't had a game are. yet today. Yeah, okay. And so he said, and he explained. Dean said it after the game. He said Brett came to me. Said I think we should go with four forwards, and Dean trusted him and said. All right, yeah. let's go. Well, and I just think those kind of moments where he trusts the assistant coaches to think on their own, to think differently, it isn't just one guy coming up with this, and therefore you don't have the tunnel vision of a coach who says, I pull the goalie with 90 seconds left, maybe two minutes if we're down by two. Instead, they're willing to think like this, and yesterday McLean came up with this idea, and it paid dividends. Have you ever seen it before? Four guys on on the four, ice. Four forwards and no defensemen and a four I, on three. I have not seen it yet, but depending on how your team is put together, like if you've got maybe Makar on the point, like maybe that's a different ball game, obviously. But the way our team is constructed, with the with the talent level, especially up front, as far as scoring goals, obviously the defensemen, uh, they're scoring goals this year, but they're great at defending. But it makes perfect sense to me, as long as one of the four guys are responsible enough to recognize. Like you can clock right behind the net. You just have to look up and see when there's 10 seconds left on the power play. Make sure, and I'm sure the coaching staff talked to the players, Anthony, and said, listen, we're going to throw you guys a bone. Don't mess it up and make me look like a fool. We get scored on four and four because we got four forwards out there. So obviously they took care of business in, in 15 seconds. But um, 
but again, just Dean Evison and his group uh, empowering his assistant coaches. I'm telling, I'm telling you, Anthony, it's not like that everywhere. Assi- great assistant coaches will always bring ideas to the coaches, uh, the head coaches. And most head coaches won't say yes right away. Sometimes they need to think about it for a couple of days. And, uh, you know, so, so as a good, and I was an assistant coach for a couple of years under Rick Tockett in Tampa, and he mentioned that to me. And I, as you know, I got all kinds of different ideas. And he always loved that about me, right? Just kind of thinking outside the box, little things like that. So he didn't always agree with what I said. And, and he was a little bit old school, like I am too. But there were times when, when he actually did listen to me and we tried some different things, but uh, uh, great head coaches will empower your assistant coaches and not just empower them, but, but have a voice. And, and that's how everybody gets better. The coaching staff has this chemistry. I've talked about this quite a bit, and I think that bleeds over into the room and you might have as good a handle on this as anybody, because you were part of maybe one of the tightest, if not the tightest group of wild players that still to this day, for me, when Timmy comes up here, we'll talk about it again, but I, I've been, it's been like a little kid in a candy store for me when I'm around guys from the 1987 Twins and I could sit and just listen to stories about what happened that season. And the same from a hockey perspective is when I see these guys from the 2003 team get together, the, the tightness that you guys still have, the bond that is still there when you guys see each other in the hallway or in the press box, do you see some similarities between that developing with this team compared to what you guys had in 03? I do. I, I really, I really do. Like, uh, I mean, you probably don't remember our practices, you know, in those early years with, in the 2000s, but we, we, we were a pretty, you know, stringent team. Like this is the way we were going to play, but, and we, you know, because we had to play so robotic and we got to have a third guy high and we're blocking shots and we're doing like that. We had so much fun in practice, and Jock actually let us kind of let our hair down in practice. We'd get goofy and goof around, and he, was, he wasn't as strict during the practices as long as we got our work in. But I, I just see, I see 20 guys that love each other. I, I really do. I watch, I watch when Cam Talbot uh, makes, a, makes a big save, or I, I watch him go over and give uh, uh, Matt Dumba a, a tap on the shin pads after a big block. I watch Marcus Foligno when he comes on the ice for a shift. Uh, the other night, it was it actually it was Jared Spurgeon, where Boldy had drew a penalty in the in the corner, took a huge hit, and Jared Spurgeon was coming on the ice for a power play. He came over and gave him a sh- tap on the shin pad, and then pushed him in the shoulder, and just kind of let said, "That's that's what I'm talking about, bud." So he knew he made sure that he knew Matt Boldy made a huge play, and that's the reason why he got the power play. So you can you can see the love during practice, and. And it, sh- it shows during the games, Anthony. These guys uh, care about each other. They don't care who scores the big goal. Um, they just want everybody to have success, and, and that's what I see. And we get a chance to watch them at practice. I don't know how many of you guys get out and have been over there to see practices. I know they've had a lot more fan interest in practices these days, but it's fun to watch them. The way they compete, the way they celebrate when they win whatever the games are against each other, and and the way they, the way they seem to truly just love being on the ice together is is something special and so let's before we get too deep into it because i got a couple other topics i wanted to hit with you before we bring tim up here is how much of that falls specifically on the leaders the guys that are wearing the letters that were empowered here with spurgeon felino and dumba it's a change and it was a specific and conscious effort to change to these guys to be the leadership group how much do they set the tone for that they set the tone 100%, not just even 98%. 100% comes from the leadership group in the locker room. Uh, Marcus Foligno, Matt Dumba, 
Jared Spurgeon, empowering the younger players. Uh, you know, a lot of times when you're a younger guy in, or you're an older guy in the locker room, you look sometimes you can look down at the younger guys and, and you know, worry about whether, you know, they, these guys might take my job or not, and I'm not going to really hang out with them off the ice. Or, like, there's always a little bit of that around in, in different locker rooms, but um, the way these older players have just really empowered the younger players to, to, to just step in and, and be yourself and talk up in the locker room. You don't need to be quiet. You're allowed to go over and, and, and turn the music on that you want. It's not just, we're not curmungent guys that are 37 years old and I don't want to listen. I don't want to listen to rap or I don't want to listen to whatever. Like you, you've got to say around here, it's okay. Be yourself. How am I going to get the best out of you if you're just going to sit in the corner like this and be scared to make a mistake? So, and I'm not in the locker room, Anthony, but I can just envision the younger players around the locker room uh, within reason because you're still young and you're still a rookie. You've got to kind of know your spot too, but just but allowing those guys to just be themselves um, has really allowed all these young players like Fiala and, and even Capriza for that matter and, and, and Boldy and, and all these young kids that we got just to kind of flourish. And because that's happened, Anthony, or, or our organization has gone to like, a, like levels it hasn't seen here before just because it's, uh, it's the, the flower's been planted, the soil's good, everything's good on the bottom everything's allowed to grow now because you've taken care of everything down here. If you've got everything down in rocky soil, man, it's hard to bring out good fruit. And right now, that's, uh, there's a lot of good fruit in the locker room. Well, and we're watching something that we've I never sound seen like a preacher. Before. It I does. That was actually pretty <laughs> impressive. It must, it must be a lot more planting in Canada than yeah. I was aware of. But the, we're watching something really special in terms of the talent level here. And you've followed this team. You've been a part of the team basically from their inception. And... We're looking at a guy who right now in Kirill Kaprizov, and statistically, all throughout the statistics, then you can try to put it into some eloquent terms. Kaprizov's two points away from the franchise record for points. There's 18 games left on the schedule. Matt Zuccarello's two assists away from the franchise record for assists in a season. We are seeing offensive skill that we've never seen here before. And that's not, I'm not even mentioning Kevin Fiala, which yeah. I think is a big part of it because having a second line that has an elite scorer on it like that takes so much pressure off of Zuccarello and Kaprizov. But we're looking at something that Wild fans have never seen before. No. And I mentioned it off the open there yesterday. I mean, we've had some, we've had some pretty dynamic passing scoring duos guys like uh, Pavel Dimitra and and uh you know Marion Gabrick and uh, Pierre Marc Bouchard and Brian Rolston I think he got 41 year didn't he Brian Rolston um playing with Pierre Marc Bouchard but Pierre Marc Bouchard this is a little bit what why it's different Pavel Dimitra and Pierre Marc Bouchard were 100% passers they they when they go out on the ice they were always looking and I'm not saying Zuccarello yes he's always looking for 97 but the one thing that, that makes those two guys so dangerous is because Matt Zuccarello has 19 goals, might get to 25. If, if he's sitting right now with 12, 13 goals, and every time he touches the puck, we go stand beside the other two guys, then nothing, nothing, this doesn't happen. The, the fact that Matt Zuccarello is willing to shoot the puck, is willing to just try to be the man himself, is really what opens up the ice for, for Kirill Kaprizov. And you're talking about what he's doing this year, and I mean... How many different ways can you explain how good somebody is? Like, you know, earlier in the season, you know... That's why I, the analysts get paid the big bucks. Yeah, oh yeah, big bucks. Yeah, um, but earlier, like the first 10 games of the season, even last year, I, I was talking to some people that are, you know, in Woodbury where I live, their parents or whatever. I, I was calling them like a top 10 player in the league. 
early, and I think he's got even more upside, but I'm not willing to put him there yet. And like, I don't think our fans really quite understood what we had. Billy Garrett definitely did. Um, I was not concerned at all about giving him $9 million, and the reason I wasn't is just because of what we see every day. The guy's a rink rat. Have you ever seen a star, a superstar, play that hard? Fans, I'm telling you, listen to me. Have you seen a player, a superstar, play that hard every game? I haven't. I've, I mean, obviously, Sidney Crosby, these guys, they all play really, really hard, but I'm talking about second, third, fourth efforts in the corner. When, when a 250-pound guy's leaning on you and he's got one, like, and then he back checks into his own zone. Usually, that, if that would have been me, I would have been right to the bench because my heart rate would have been at 220. But, uh, but, you know, he stays on the ice and just, I mean, it's just truly remarkable uh, how hard he plays and what he brings to the table. And I think the guys in the locker room, when, you, when you're walking out of the locker room with a, with a bazooka like that, ready to go into battle and not a couple pop guns like we had in 2002, 2003, and you've got a bazooka like that, you've got the best player, maybe you've got one of the top five players in the world that I'm going to battle with, it raises everybody up just a little bit more. How about the trade deadline moves? What does that say to the guys inside the room when you've got a GM that says, I'm looking at something that's really special, I'm looking at something with great chemistry, a team that's overachieves the wrong word because yeah. he felt he had a contender all along, but they might, in maybe some of the eyes elsewhere around the league, they might be slightly higher, closer than what people thought. But when he goes out and pulls the trigger on the trades that he did, what does that say to the guys inside the room? It says so much. Um, I mean, there were many times, you know, there were many times in those early years, not just the, the 0203 season, and we didn't pick anyone up at the trade deadline that year, which would have been pretty nice because we actually, I think we were sitting in, second or third place we were really hoping to maybe get another piece we didn't get it but it's it sends a, a terrific message to the to the room that we believe in you guys and we're going to give you some pieces it's going to be up to you guys to try to put the pieces of the puzzle together to make it fit got to be professional it's not easy there's going to be some guys coming in and out of the lineup um billy garen when he was brought in here like four stanley cups like he ain't he ain't trying to figure out how to get by the first round Okay, that's not what, his, what he's all about. So if we're going to win a Stanley Cup, and he's won four of them, he knows that you start the, the Stanley Cup playoffs at 100 or 220 pounds if you're Billy Guerin and you finish at like 190, and you might walk by your mother in the hall and she doesn't recognize you. He knows the kind of battles that it takes to win a Stanley Cup to have a couple more big bodies because you're gonna, if, you're gonna, if you're playing the right way, you're going to lose some bodies. You just will. We watch it. We see it every year. The teams that are playing in the Final Four every year, watching them dive in front of shots, and I'm just like, that's why every year, the same year, that's why those guys are playing in the Final Four. They're willing to lay themselves on the body, on, you know, lay themselves out there. And then, obviously, Marc-Andre Fleury bringing him in, that was, a, that was a complete game changer for me. Having two bullets in the chamber, going into the playoffs and even down the stretch here, allowing Marc-Andre and, and Cam Talbot not have to... Um, you know, play every night and make sure at 34, 35, 36 years old that they can stay fresh. And I, I you know, I mentioned this during the broadcast, uh, just watching Cam Talbot move from his right to left on one of those one-timer shots, I mentioned as quick as I possibly could that if he played the night before, I'm not sure he has that strength to push off just as quick. Maybe it gets blown over his shoulder and now we're down 3-1 and the game is over. 
you don't think about those things as a fan, but all those little things really do matter. One fan does. I just had this conversation with Vinny in the car on the way down here. We were arguing about goalies playing back-to-backs, and he said sometimes it might just be a split second where you're a hair later getting across the crease, and that's the difference. That's it. That's it. Vinny, man, you raised some good kids. Smart kids. Yeah. Smart kids. I just surround him with the with people. I tell him to listen to Wes. Yeah. Let, uh, and his mother. He's sitting back there with Tim Laudner now. So, uh, Tim, what, Tim, why don't you come up here and join us? And uh, you can finish your conversation with Vinny. And fans, <laughs> if you guys have questions, come on up. There's a microphone up here. We'd love to hear from you guys, get your thoughts, and, and feel free to fire away at Wes, who's one of the best around in terms of the game analysts. I, I'm, I'm blessed to work with some unbelievable guys at Valley Sports North, and these are two of them, not just on air, but also just we have, we have a lot of fun it's uh, that, that was typical Reverend right there. Hey, come was. on over, Tim. I go, right. listen, I'm just finishing the story yeah, up here with Vinny, yeah. and it's, we it's call, more... Tim's called the Reverend, and as he throws the headset on here, it, when Tim first started out, and I've had a chan- I had a chance to work with both of these guys, might have been their first shows with both of you. I know I did your first show. When, when you were done playing and came on Wild Live, I was hosting the shows, and I'm pretty sure I hosted the first time that Tim Laudner ever came on Twins Live. We used to call him the Reverend because when he first started out, our boss would only schedule him. He had Sundays, and that was it. So we called him the Reverend because he only worked on Sundays. And the, the other, the A guys, the big guys, got the weeknight games, but the Rev and I were doing Sunday afternoons, and, uh, and we've had a blast ever since. Now he's almost an every night guy, 100 games a year. Thanks for coming up. Say hey to Tim Laudner. Thanks for coming out, Tim. Thank you. Can I tell can I tell a story? Story time with Tim. Yeah. Story Settle time. in with the rest. I got to yeah. so start off with this one. And right. so, obviously, I, everybody, if you don't know, Kirby Puckett was a teammate of mine. And, and we lost Kirby in uh, 2006, I think it was. And if you were to read some of the stuff that went on in the newspapers um, after we lost Kirby, um, this guy to my far right was quoted in the newspaper as having to run into Kirby. I think if my memory serves me well, it was out at, out at the airport, and he airport. ran into Kirby. Airport. He was really impressed with Kirby. And Kirby at the time said uh, they were in the midst of their playoff run, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. You can, And uh, this guy to my far right had such nice things to say about my former teammate Kirby Puckett that I knew everything that I needed to know right then and there uh, about Wes Walls and a guy with a, a great deal of character. And since then, we've had the opportunity to play golf on a number of occasions. And um, I'll sneak up when we're in the studio together. I'll sneak up from the back room as I'm watching baseball to see what's going on in the hockey game. And Wes is just a little bit too intense during a <laughs> hockey game, so I have to mosey on back and watch the baseball game when, where things aren't aren't quite as... It's a little more late as that. Oh, my word. I don't think I've ever seen anything like that in I'm, my life. I'm, are you kidding me? See, that's where I get a bad rap all the time. You See, everyone thinks I'm this guy that, that shows up like this. You got help, you come on. You got to help me out a little Nobody, bit. That's how, he, that's how he shows up. Right. Nobody paces in our booth more than Wes. Well, we'll be sitting there getting game. ready for a game, and I'll just kind of be hanging out, probably doing a crossword puzzle, watching warm-ups. And Wes will, be, Wes will be stomping around the booth, and all of a sudden he'll just stop and turn to me. And, if this guy takes too long a shift tonight, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> and then he's back. And then he'll just I'm, go back to what I'm doing, and all of a sudden he's walking around. 
And I'll tell you what, if we have this guy on the ice, when that guy's on the ice, we are in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) What about the TV room? So I I did walk up to the conference room, and I believe the Wild were playing. uh, They needed to win against the Jets a couple years ago. Late years ago. Late in the season or something? It was in the the playoffs. playoffs. Oh, playoffs. Got it. Okay. And I walked up, and remember the remote? I thought well, you were gonna. I thought you were gonna rip it in half. Well, I was trying to, and everybody's been there. Trail. I'm trying to go back to to, <laughs> to see a play during a commercial break, and I've changed the batteries in the in the uh, the remote control probably well, of course, 15 it wasn't times. Working fast enough. Yeah. When, when, and I brought my own batteries so I know that they work. And I'm still like the thing will not. I'm ripe up to it. And I'm just. But every once in a while, you just turn it like that a couple times, I don't care and all how many of a sudden batteries it starts working. Are in it, if it's torn in half, it ain't gonna work. <laughs> Oh, you now, understand. I'm gonna get, Trevor Fleck is going to send me a yeah, bill for the remote exactly. control. When, when these guys are talking about when we host the pre and post game show, and so I've been there for both because before I started doing wild games, I worked the pregame shows and a lot of them with Wes. During the baseball season, I worked the pre and post game shows with Tim. And when the team's on the road, we do the show from the studio in Minneapolis. We do the pregame show and then we sit in the conference room and just watch the game basically and get ready for the postgame show. And the baseball games are maybe just slightly less intense than when Wes is watching the <laughs> hockey game. As, How about the two sports? There, even, there might be a difference in the two sports. We haven't touched the remote control all baseball season. Yeah, you guys don't even we know it exists underneath the thing. We haven't rewound a play. It's just been, yeah, you know, we'll talk about it in the postgame show. Yeah. And, and uh, it, the, the intensity level is different. The sport. I'll give you that the sports are different, but yeah. the intensity is a little different too. Yeah, well, you had mentioned earlier about uh, – you know, Timmy loving hockey and, and, and growing up in Iowa. And I, 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 baseball was always my, it was my favorite sport growing up. I just loved it. You I, had a chance. You had a decision to make. Well, I, I don't know about that. I, I was when I was sixteen. I, I kind of I had to make a decision. To, Did you to, get drafted? No, no, drafted. I was never that good. I was never that Stop. good. But, but I was one of those kids, though. I was one of those kids when I was ten years old. I'll never forget. I went to the to the library at the St. Mark's Elementary. Got a little book. It was a little thick thing, like really thin thing. It was Carl Ustremski, <laughs> yeah. and it showed me how to th- how to hold a curveball. And when I was ten, between 10, 11, 12 years old, I could I could make a, a ball curve about six inches, and no one else in this province could do it. So no one could hit me, and I was a really good pitcher and a good athlete. But as everyone got a little bit older, they started catching up. I couldn't throw the ball by them, and the hook just kind of landed in there. Got a little flat. As in like, hey, got a little flat. Whoops. So well, I, go talk I, to him. The old frisb- hey, the old Frisbee, and it would stay on the same plane as Timmy would say, and he'd go, yep, so. Let's go 400 feet, Wes. Yeah, they do, and they did, trust me. And then that's, that's, when, that's when my yeah, and that's when my dad decided it's time for you to be a shortstop. But anyway. Uh, no, or, a, or, a or a forward. Center. Yeah, or a center. Yeah, but I just I love baseball. So it, these are, you know, we, get, we spend a ton of time together. Some of my favorite interactions are with these guys when they're out of season. So during broadcasts, I'll get texts from Tim telling me what's wrong with the Wilds' power play or their goaltending. And during the baseball season, I get them from Wes with <laughs> proclaiming, you know, what this, this guy's going to be the savior. And it, I usually respond the same way to both, which is just stay in your lane. And Let me clarify. I don't ever criticize anything that's going – the only time I texted you when you guys were live on the air was when Wes said he was sitting on the bench one day and took a puck in the head, and I texted you and said – that goes a long way to explaining a yeah. few things. A few things, <laughs> a few things are coming together now. Yeah. And it yeah. comes from a catcher. Yeah, that's had a few uh, foul tips himself. Uh, but right, 
Yeah. It's I've, been an exciting couple weeks for heading into the baseball season, not to get derailed on the conversation too much, but what do you think about what's going on over there? I like what's going on in St. Paul right now, and I think that that kind of hopefully will help feed into the excitement that may or may not be be brewing in in downtown Minneapolis. The, sometimes these things have a, a carryover effect, and uh, – so I know that uh, that everybody associated. I'd like to think that everybody associated with the Minnesota Twins organization are are cheering like heck for these guys. And uh, what'd you say? Yeah, like twenty games left. The season's going to be a little. Normally, the crossover starts right about now. The yeah. playoffs start right about now. But it's going to be what about a May? Month, month. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be. I hope six I don't weeks. see you at the desk until June. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so at least. Uh, yeah, I think that there's probably uh, some things that are are getting some people excited about with regards to Minnesota Twins baseball. But again, I hope that there's a bit of a carryover effect with the excitement that is going on over in, in St. Paul right now. And, uh, you know, let's face it, with our, our four major sports teams, the uh, five, five, if, if you want to count the links, I'm not going to discount or discredit anybody, but... Um, you know, right now the, the Minnesota Wilds seem to be enjoying as much success uh, as anybody has had for a while. And so we'd like to ride ride that boat for ride that horse till they buck us off. That's what that's what I think. If any of you have any questions after Brandon did all this work now to get an extra mic hooked up here, I'm not yeah, putting come him on to up. work here tonight. So come on up and let's hear your questions for either one of these guys. And yeah, don't Tim's, be shy. Tim is not at all as intimidating as he comes across. He looks like a Secret Service guy sometimes, <laughs> and when he, especially when you put the little squiggly thing behind his ear and with the earpiece. And I actually, I'm <laughs> extremely intimidating. I'm, I'm aware. I've seen it. I know. <laughs> I, I'll tell you. Did I ever tell you the Tim Laudner at the charity golf event story? No. So uh, oh. this is this this won't encourage people to ask questions, but but this was a long time ago. So Tim and I are in a charity golf event, and we were in the same group with a threesome or foursome of other guys, and and we're playing on some course that had these railroad tie like multiple levels on a tee box. And we were waiting for the group in front of us, and I'm just sitting on this, on this tee box or the railroad tie thing, and Lodz is over his ball. And all of a sudden, one of the guys in the group, and, and when you're in these foursomes, you know, they're asking questions all day, yep. and we're about 12 or 14 holes into this event. And this guy comes over, and he says, hey, what do you think about Joe Maurer? And he's always, always injured. And Tim's standing over his ball. Just ready to, ready to go back. And, hit. and he's a relatively serious golfer. Huh. That, <laughs> that relatively, that, yeah, there's not a lot of extra. No. There's not a lot of extra thoughts going on, and he's standing over his ball. Pauses for about ten seconds. It was uncomfortable because I'm sitting up on this railroad tie, and I'm, this is not going to go well for this guy. I can't remember his name. All of a sudden, Tim walks over, gets about you know four inches from his face. And, Let me tell you two things that aren't going to happen today. Nobody talks in Timmy's backswing. <laughs> And we are talking about Joe Maurer. <laughs> Goes back over to his ball, doesn't say another word, and the guy's kind of shaking. Oh, my gosh. And, I mean, I'm just kind of sitting up on this railroad tie yeah. watching this guy, and as soon as Lodge hit, I just said, he's just he's fine, he's yeah. just kidding. He probably and, per- pulled his tee <laughs> shot the right. hole before, and he's still thinking about the three-wood that he Mildly pulled into the woods. Embellished. Yeah. Uh, Mildly really. embellished. Mildly embellished. All right, let's, let's get a 
Hey, I want to tell you about my friends over at Profile. Staying healthy during Minnesota winters isn't easy. Short days and cold nights make it hard to eat right and stay active. Uh, so do long plane rides and long road trips, by the way. Um, but don't panic. I have a solution for you, and the solution is called Profile. When you join Profile, you're assigned a certified health coach who is with you every step of the way. In fact, today at practice, I talked to Deb, my Profile health coach, on the phone. The coaches are amazing, and the food is delicious. Profile worked for me, and it can work for you, too. Don't delay. Visit ProfilePlan.com slash TwinCities and launch your transformation today. Tell them that Russo sent you. That's ProfilePlan.com slash TwinCities. Kowalski's is the place to go for the best food, and when you're going to have a great meal, you got to start with great ingredients, and I always do that at Kowalski's. We had a couple really good ones lately. We had Akushi strips last night for dinner. We had halibut the night before with a pistachio crust on it that was awesome. And I've mentioned to people this, I think I might have called it the buck bucket, but it's really, I saw the sign yesterday, it's called the cheese bucket, but it's the same thing. It's The gist of it is that you get the great cheeses. So if you go there, check it out. It's in their little deli area. And try the Bella Santori soaked in cognac. It like costs like $90 a pound, but you get a little chunk of it for like, seven or eight bucks and it's worth it just have a couple slices of it you'll love it you won't be disappointed check it out the cheese bucket at kowalski is just another reason to go there everything is about to change if you've been watching the news you know that interest rates are likely to rise several times in 2022 that means the time to sell your home is now buyers want to buy before it rates go up so they're highly highly motivated and if you're holding out because you can't find a place to move to next well christendall real estate has the perfect solution to help you it's their guaranteed offer program guaranteed offer means you can sell now while your equity is high then pick your closing dates so you have more time to buy while interest rates are at historic lows bottom line when interest rates rise selling opportunities fade now is the perfect time to sell your current home and find your next one but the window is closed Closing fast. By this time next year, don't regret sitting on the sidelines while others perfectly time the real estate market. Act now and take advantage of this unique and once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Join thousands of other homeowners who have already received a guaranteed offer by Christendahl.com today. That's Christendahl.com. That's Chris with a K. Some terms and conditions apply. All right, let's let's get a question here. We were privileged to be at the game last night. And it took a long time to fall asleep once we got home. It was a lot of fun. But I'm curious about the fourth line, and I'm wondering what you think in terms of, is it Tim, is it Jost? Tyson Jost, yeah. Tyson and, uh, and Duhame and... Uh, Nick Delorier. Nick Delorier and how they're doing. And what aspect does, you know, Bukestad is sitting right now. So where would he fit in? When do you bring him in? And how do they make a decision as to who to play on a given night? Well, it's an interesting question. And, and uh, by the way, I was staring at my ceiling at 3 in the morning last night, too, when I went. I'm sure Anthony and Tim can't believe that I was laying in bed at 3 in the morning staring at the ceiling. Why can't I fall asleep? But um, the Bukestead's an interesting angle because they're rotating with when they brought Jake Middleton in, they, they're re rotating the defensemen, you know, uh, out of the four kit, the four guys, three of them are playing in the games. There has not been really a rotation with Nick Bukestead, um, you know, up front with the forwards. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see maybe if he gets into the lineup tomorrow. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, when, when the team's winning, coaches don't like to make too many adjustments, to be perfectly honest with you. So I don't know how that's going to play out. I really like the two big heavy bodies on the right side. 
and left side, the guys that can finish their checks and, and skate and get there and make other teams really feel uncomfortable. Um, they've been playing 10, 11, 12 minutes a game. So Dean Evason is leaning on this fourth line. So it's not like guys are playing, the fourth line players are playing six, seven minutes a game um, where all of a sudden someone's going to come in and come out. Um, the X factor for me has been Tyson Jost. Um, and we were talking off camera a little bit. Uh, and, and Anthony agrees with me. Like he's done some things, Tyson, offensively that have not just added into great plays yet. Like it's, he, you can see in the offensive zone, like he'll escape from somebody where a, a real good defenseman's got him in good position. He'll go like this and then pick up four or five feet of, you know, four or five feet of separation where you're like, geez, where did that come from? So he's doing some really neat things offensively. I'm watching Tyson Jost defensively and he's doing everything he needs to do right now to build the trust. When you go to a new team like Tyson Jost is, the first thing that you do is you figure out a way to get on the ice. You figure out a way to have my coach trust me. That's number one. Above all, and like I'm not going to score. I got to figure out how I got to get on the ice because I've never seen a great player eating popcorn in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the press box. So Tyson Jost has done an amazing job of being really solid defensively. And then from that, he has to just let his game grow. Uh, you know, whether it's going to be a fourth line role this year, maybe it expands into something more next year, getting uh, more offensive upside. Who knows what's going to happen with Kevin Fiala? Maybe he gets an opportunity to maybe move up the lineup. The guy was drafted 10th overall. You don't draft guys 10th overall to, to flip pucks off glass and uh, play seven, eight minutes. So you, you've seen, you've definitely seen the upside. And you just have to look through our lineup, guys like Ryan Hartman. He's 27 years old. It took him a long time to kind of figure out, like, look where he is right now. He had to come from Chicago and different teams. Now, all of a sudden, he's found his niche. Eric Sinek was playing 13, 14 minutes a game not long ago. Takes, it took, uh, took him a little bit of time to find his game, too. So Tyson Jost has some offensive upside. Having the big beef on the side, man, I love it. I, like, I would, I would not have a whole lot of – it wouldn't – I'd have some sleepless nights – uh, if I had to play against the, those two big guys well, as well. And I, I think that's Dean's gained some trust in the fourth line for sure. The other thing, though, to keep in mind is they've been healthy since the lineup changed, and that's not always going to be the case. There's going to be a night where somebody gets banged up and all of a sudden Nick Bukestad, I believe, is he's still going to be a part of this yes. between here and the finish, somehow, some way. He's, he was really good for him this year when healthy, and I, he'll be back in there somewhere. And especially because we're playing a baseball schedule right now. Right. We got, we got 16 night. games and 17 nights, so it's we'll great see. question. Absolutely. Great question. What do you think of the new big guys? Um, I, I think uh, I, I, was, uh, I was in the arena when uh, Delorier scored his uh, first goal on that Monday night. A week ago tonight. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was pretty impressive. I do think that it's going to take a little bit of time. Uh, for those guys to to get a little chemistry to figure things out together, um, I do like this uh, Joe's kid. I think that given an opportunity, he is going to grow. Um, it's it seems like he was kind of kept under wraps a little bit in Colorado, and now he's and now they're going to let him just. I I get the impression, reading between the lines, just as a fan, not as a, any type of an insider or anybody with any knowledge, but. I get the impression that this Everson guy is really quick to let these guys learn and go play the game. Go play the game. And I think this uh, Jacob Middleton is a, is a prime example of that, too. Big son of a – man, he's a big son of a gun, ain't he? Holy Hannah. But I don't think that he's spent too much time – 
crossing the blue line into the offensive zone, and now he gets in there because his coach wants him to go there, and he's like a fish out of water. He doesn't know what to do yet. Where the hell am I at what, right now? Someone, someone get Wait me a, a map. Minute. Hey. And, so, but, and he's, <laughs> then he see him, he's hustling back, and he's like, but the more that he goes, because all the other guys are going, so I better go too, and because that's that's how we're going to be successful, and that's going to be really fun to watch this guy uh, grow as a offensive player, not just a stay-at-home defensive guy. Am I wrong with that? No, that no, you're, right. you're, you're bang on, and right. there was a situation that happened. I won't even tell him to stay in his lane. Yeah, there was a situation that happened. By the way, did you get out of your seat when D'Lo scored, Delorier? Did you get out of your seat, or did you like you don't get oh, too excited? Standing room only. Standing room only. So if I would have texted you and said, Lods, who's standing behind you? You would have said absolutely nobody. Like you're, you're as, high, as high as you could possibly get. You have a question? <laughs> All right, Wes, I'm interested to hear if you have any Michael Russo, or not Michael Russo, um, Miko Koivu stories. Miko Koivu stories. Uh, man, um, I played with Miko for the first three years of his career, something like that, three, four years. Miko was just a very stoic guy. It was really hard to, to kind of get to know. Um, the one story I, I do have is we used, to, we used to give Miko, like he was always very, probably like Anthony would say in Lodz, he's a lot like me, he's just always on edge, you know? And so he didn't take a joke very well. So we, we would joke around with him from time to time and he'd never, he'd always have that stoic look and face. So the, the, the more stoic he looked, the more we'd try to rib him and give him a hard time. And um, one thing that we found out that really used to bother him, and it doesn't bother him anymore, obviously, he's older now, but, um, and I had a chance to meet his brothers. We used to call him Saku's brother, Miko, when he was younger. Yeah, because, you know, every, he was called, you know, Saku Koivu was his brother, and he was, a, he was one of the best players that's ever played in Finland, and Miko was his brother. So we used to call him Saku's brother from time to time when we were really mad at him. And, uh, uh, one time, uh, it wasn't me that said it, but it was a younger guy. I was one of the older players at that time. <clears throat> one of the younger players decided that they want to pop up and say something like that. And um, I remember him going over to the guy and grabbing him by the scruff and said, hey, listen, knock it off. And that was all, that, that was all he said. And uh, we kind of we all knocked it off. That was, that, was, that was it. We didn't do it anymore because we knew that uh, either someone was going to get punched in the nose or uh, the joke was up. But I had a chance to meet, actually, his brother, Saku, at, at Miko's event and... Uh, what a great guy, but good question. Yeah, Miko's a pretty stoic guy, but uh, don't call him Saku's brother. He doesn't like that very much. <laughs> so this was the first time that this guy saw the Miko stare. That's it. That, yeah. that was it. And it, we had seen it before, but that was the first time he saw it. Go ahead. Yeah, come on up. Uh, I just want to touch up on that hit by Eric Johnson last night on Jost. I just was curious what kind of guy Jost is in the locker room and what kind of played on there. I also have a couple other questions, but... yeah. I, I don't know much about yeah. Joe's relationship with Johnson. We haven't had a chance to talk as much with new players as we normally would, but it was interesting that it was Joe that happened to be the guy that he hit. It was a bad hit by Johnson at a bad time in the game. I, I don't know if there's anything there between those guys or not. I mean, I really don't know either. I, I it was a it was a, I mean, it, for the while it worked out great. We got a four on three you know goal, but. Uh, um, yeah, I, I just, I really don't know. I mean, I haven't, I haven't really had a chance to meet him yet again, so. And then also, call? I called in the fighting line and talked to Micheletti, but this power play, I mean, obviously with that four-on-three goal last night, it hit, but it's it's been like one for 13, and he's just kind of rolling the lines. At what point do you really, 
get kind of a static power play going, you know? It's just, I mean, it has been struggling. Oh, it's been a little better. It's come on, man. It's been a little better the last three or four ga games. Yeah. Um, is it two games now? X been well, moved to the front of the, it, front they, of the net? They just made a switch to put X yeah. back with the top group and go four forwards and a D. They did score a power play goal earlier in the game last night, but it, it hasn't been good enough all year to be – it just hasn't. I mean, this team has way too much talent to have a power play sitting around 20th, and it's got to be better than that in the postseason. It absolutely has to be cashing in at a higher rate than that. I, I think he's tried. They, had the, they went the four forwards and a D on both groups early in the year. He decided to change it up and just roll the lines with a couple sets of D men. That worked for a game or two. I do think that allowed a little bit better chance for the Boldy Fiala group to come through on the power play, and they yeah. did a couple times. But it, I don't think it's been good enough all year long. Well, the numbers show that. I mean, the, the numbers are not good enough. For, there's no question about that. And, and you're going to need your power play to win games when – I mean, last night was a perfect example. Wild won a, a one-goal game, and they didn't have their eight. two power play goals. Game, game, game. Set. I mean, they got great goaltending. Did a great job of keeping everything to the outside. The Wild played exactly the way you need to play when you've played a hard, heavy game the night before. I don't care that there was no travel. They could have almost just slept in the locker room with their bottom half of their gear on and just played. But so I know what your legs feel like. But they played a smart game. They recognized Colorado might have the puck a little more than us tonight. That's okay. Let's make sure that we, when pucks get to the net, we're we're keeping pucks to the outside. And, and then make sure our, our power play is going. We might need a power play goal or two to, to win here tonight, and that's exactly how they got the two points. Is that McKinnon fight reminiscent of Gretzky Broughton? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, oh, just saying, I'm just asking. Yeah. And McKinnon's a little bigger guy than Gretzky or Broughton. But. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that doesn't remind me at all of any of that oh, okay. fight. No, no. <laughs> um, and I, I, I still Was there even a punch thrown in that fight? There, there was, and it was thrown by they Neil They combed Braun. each other's yeah. hair. Yeah, right. yeah. I, uh, I see Neil Broughton from time to time. His grandson is the same age as my son, so I see him around the rink all the time. But uh, he's doing good, farming out in Stillwater. He's got his hat turned backwards all the yeah. time. Still uh, I see Neil kind of an old, old school fella, too, yep. but a uh, great awesome dude. guy. Yep. You have a question? You were talking about the coaching staff earlier and how just tight-knit they are. So not to be like Mike Caruso and scare everybody, but where do you see this coaching Which person on the coaching staff do you see getting a head coaching job first who I, I don't know i mean i i mean i i, I don't know these you can just watch the way dean evison goes about his business with his assistant coaches i gotta be honest like if you're an assistant coach in the national hockey league and you've got a great job and you've got a great head coach and someone that gives you the opportunity to speak up when it's time and 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 use you know your thoughts like there's assistant coaches that have been assistant coaches in the NHL for 30 years. Why would you want to be a head coach and coach for three years and then get fired and then you're looking for a job? But, you know, be an assistant coach, man. Coach for 30 years. You know where you're going to be. Just make sure you, you're always around a great I'm head impressive coach. with Darby. Yeah. Well, I'm he's, really he, impressive with Darby. He's a people person, right? Yeah. So He's he, been uh, here through all of these changes. It's yeah. not an accident that he survives every time a GM or a coach gets replaced, Darby gets hired again. Yeah. I call him a cockroach from time to time. You just keep stepping on him, and he just he keeps coming out. From <laughs> and, underneath then, and then one fun one. Here's yeah. my fun one. When's your first round of golf? And where? When's Loggers Trail opening, Lapanta? He's probably already Loggers played four Trail. rounds. I, I haven't played yet, but Loggers Trail is going to open soon. Only because they and haven't opened the door yet. He's he's in yeah, the parking the, lot. The day they open, I'll be. Yeah. There. You have the key. I can you got you the that. key. <laughs> 
Yeah, they might just let me in. I had some connections there. In fact, I think we played together last year, the first round of golf at Loggers Trail. I think... I think all of us were out there. We had a couple foursomes. Yeah, we were out yep. there, and it was way too cold to be playing golf. I know that. Right. Well, that'll be where the first round is. It'll yeah. be these guys out there. and Check out White Eagle. I That's... played White Eagle. I hate that place. <laughs> Sorry. Why? Because right? it's in Wisconsin? Exactly. Yeah. Do you own it? it? I know who in... owns it. Do you own it? No, no. I, know, you know, I know who I owns actually, it. Actually, I like White Eagle other than two holes. I know you have a few more on your list. I think it's a really cool course, except there's two terrible holes. I, Good I, thing I, it's in Wisconsin. Yeah. Six is the other one. Yeah, Timmy would love it if it was just on this side of the border. No, think, think, yeah, yeah. If it was on the other side of the river, yeah, you know, I kind of like that place. If it was the last golf course open, I think I'd go fishing. And you don't own a fishing rod? I don't. <laughs> the Sheriff family enjoys spending a lot of time outside. Hence, we care what goes into our environment. That's why we support propane, the energy for everyone. Did you know that propane produces fewer greenhouse gas emissions than electricity generated on the U.S. grid? Propane's emissions are 43% fewer. That's a lot. Propane is clean, dependable, and affordable. Plus, it's produced right here in the USA. Let's all do our part to reduce emissions from our homes, cabins, and businesses by choosing propane, the right energy right now. To learn more about propane, the energy for everyone, go to propane.com. That morning that I tore my ACL, MCL, meniscus on the ski slopes, I did not want to go to the doctor because I knew that they were, Margo was going to snap. So, but I did. And Dr. Boyd did a tremendous job on it. And, and I, we've got a couple friends who right now are going through ACL surgery and rehab. And I just said, just trust your doctor because that's what I did with Dr. Boyd at TRIA. He gave me the exact dates at this many months, you'll feel this at this many months, you'll feel this. He turned out that he was almost to the day exactly right with the rehab process. And I came back bigger, faster, stronger than I had ever been before. So if you, if, whether you're an athlete trying to get yourself back on the field or you're just a guy like me that was hoping that his wife would let him go skiing again, <laughs> if we've got an injury, go to Tree Orthopedics. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. You scared the last guy, Tim. You got to be a little gentler. I didn't mean to scare him. <laughs> I've I've never had a worse round in my life than at White Eagle, so. Yeah, it's a tough course, yeah. but I like it. Yeah, so I have a question for all three of you guys because um, you guys all have different perspectives on other sports, Tim, you especially too. Um, it seems like the NHL, just going back as far as ever, it just really pales in comparison to other sports when it tries to improve officiating. I mean, you, I think we can look at the NFL. They did that dumb pass interference review a few years ago that didn't work, but the MLB has at least talked about doing a robotic umpire, which not a lot of people agree with. But it seems like the NHL, they just don't really have discussions aside from the offsides review is like cross-checking. Like Jordan Greenway's penalty yesterday in the first period, that was a terrible call. In the playoffs, cross-checking is non-existent. In the regular season, it is. So 
I guess my first question, do you guys agree with that, that the NHL doesn't really do enough to try to improve officiating? And my second question is, do you kind of see that changing ever? I don't agree with what you're saying. I, I think the referees, and I know they missed some calls yesterday for sure. Um, and I'm, I just, I just think it, it's, it's terribly difficult job down there. I mean, we, we sit up in the press box and we look down over the ice. And I think sometimes as analysts and people that sit in the press box, you forget when you get down at ice level, stand behind the, the net and then just really recognize. And I did this a few nights ago when the game was on ESPN. I stood behind the, um, our goaltender for the last five minutes of the game, and I just went, oh, my goodness. So the pace that the players are playing at now and the rink's size is still the exact same size, they're going to miss calls. They just really, really are. And it's, it's obviously easy for us to, as analysts and, and play-by-play guys to try to explain what we saw, but you know, decisions have to be made in a split second. Um, and, you know... I wore an A for many years here with the Wild, so I didn't like. I, I was always the guy skating around before the the period, trying to see if I could pick up an extra power play. How's the family doing? All those guys. So <laughs> I don't have that in my DNA. Um, and Timmy Laudner was a back catcher his whole career, so I'm sure he's working on the outside part. So he knows all about that. And uh, as you get older, they're not. You understand they're not going to change their mind. You're just working on that next call, and hopefully. I've seen it happen a lot where you do get that extra call because yeah. you take care of them and you're nice to them. The only thing I would say is uh, they do work to try to get better. I don't think the officiating has been as good this year as it's been in the past. I, I think this year it's been more inconsistent than any season I've seen. But I do think they've made a couple improvements. I think the replay system and the review system has gotten a lot better. I love the assigning a delay a game penalty if you challenge and lose because it's minimized how many times plays get challenged. And... I've spent nights, I think we've talked about this on earlier shows, in both the Toronto Review Room and the Player Safety Department in New York. They work their tails off to get it right. They really do. They might miss, but they're trying. And then they review officials during the offseason where we were just, uh, Michael and I spent a day in the Department of Player Safety in New York on the, when the Wild were out there earlier this year. They clipped 20 to 25 plays from every game. Calls that were made, hits that were legal, hits that they think maybe could have been a penalty but weren't, and they keep all those, they keep a log of all of them so that they can show them to all the officials during the summer and say, here's an example of, here are maybe five calls where we think it's a legal hit, you called a penalty, here's five where you didn't call a penalty and maybe should have. So they do work at it. I think there's just been a turnover to a younger group of officials, and I just don't think they have as good a feel for the game as the old guard did. And that's all I would say about the NHL guys. But, you know, we've seen it. We've talked a lot about it in other sports. Uh, basketball, I was just talking about it with our NBA guys in the office yesterday. They, I didn't realize it, but they do a – they actually break down and do a public analysis of every call that every official makes. And fans have access to it where they can look and see this guy was wrong on – 8% of his calls last night or something like that. It's crazy that they make that public. I didn't realize it till yesterday. And they even started to get to where this guy to seems figure out to the call. upside to that. Well, because what they were trying to do is get away from the bias towards certain teams. And there were some referees that they found this guy calls 25% more fouls against the Miami Heat than he does against and so it it eliminated some of that which and that's a, it's a very visible sport in basketball. The referees are, me to you, away from fans in the front row and, and coaches. And, 
you know, I mean, I, I think Lots, officiating that's a slippery stuff, slope, man. It is, and and now Tim, you have the unique perspective because <laughs> he shakes his head. You were two feet from the home plate umpire for back in your day, only a hundred pitches a game. Now it would be one hundred and eighty a game, <laughs> but you know, that, it's a relationship that's a big part of the game. Well, it was a big part of the game, and and what it is now, it's not, and that's probably the thing for me. It's just my opinion that's the most disappointing. We talk about uh, professional athletes. We talk about the guys in the NHL who are getting bigger and faster and stronger on a, on a yearly, monthly, weekly, daily basis. And it's the same thing with Major League Baseball players, NFL football players, NBA players. These athletes are, I don't think for one second – or any of these athletes from any of these sports, I don't think their skill level is any better than guys previously. But they are bigger, they are faster, and they are stronger than athletes of previous generations. And that's just because of the, the nutrition, their ability to work out, and the knowledge that they've gained when it comes to getting bigger and faster and stronger. Now, still, as far as I know, not one of these athletes are perfect. They're not perfect athletes. They don't play perfect games. And when it comes to Major League Baseball, which I'll speak on, is that we are expecting, when it comes to officiating, our home plate umpires, our base umpires, to get every call right. And if the call's not there, well, we have to use the technology. We have to – let's go back and look at a video replay. And every time – there's to, for me that there's a video replay. That's three minutes of my life I'll never get back. <laughs> you got them wound up. Here we right, go. Yeah. I don't want video replay. There's a human element to the officiating. There's a human element to the players that play the games on the field. If we're gonna expect perfection from the officiating, we're gonna have to expect perfection from the players. And I'm just gonna tell you right now, you're just not gonna get it. And in the society that we live in in today, in, in 2022, what are we doing? All I want to know is, what are we doing? Because well, I'm not sure what it is that we're doing when we're expecting the officials to get every call perfect, to get every call right. You probably feel like me, Timmy. This is how I look at it. So going into a season, I, I don't, as a player, I never worried, and I, I'm the same way as an analyst. I don't. If we get a bad call, I don't care. I know this. Through the course of 82 games, I'm going to be plus 10 or minus 10. Yeah. Yeah. Okay? Through the 10 seasons, I'm going to be plus 10 or minus 10 or there. It's going to work out differently later. Why am I going to get all bent out of shape about one call? Because the same call is coming 10 minutes yeah. later, and I'm yeah. going to live in that kind of world. And as an athlete... When I've got to perform and make sure my coach, to get, remember we were talking about trust to coach and all that, I'm going to worry about a call a referee makes and I might not get back on the ice if I have a bad shift because I'm, I'm worried well, about that. Well, so I was a young kid, excuse me, Anthony, I was a young kid catching uh, for the Minnesota Twins in the early 80s. All right, we're out in Anaheim and I'm behind the plate and I'm trying to develop a rapport with all these American League umpires because they were American, American and National League umpires at the time. And so my pitcher, with the left-handed hitter standing in the batter's box, my pitcher throws one, boom, right there in the corner. He goes, ball. I go, oh, man, that's a good pitch. We're going to have to have that pitch. And I'm just going to tell you right now, 
because I don't want to turn around. He can't turn around. But I'm talking to him the whole time throwing the ball back. we got to have that pitch. That pitch is right there. He's going to be right back there, and I'm just going to tell you, that's a strike, so you got to call a strike next time. And the hitter, the hitter leans down and says, that's not a strike on Reggie. (laughs) If you don't know who Reggie Reggie Jackson Jackson. is, look him up. (laughs) Because I'm looking at him like, you might be right, yeah. Reg. <laughs> right. You got a different strike zone than everybody else. Uh, yes, is the answer evidently. to that question. Yeah. Yes. I and the only thing and I want to. And we learned that. Right. We learned that. The only thing I want to. You get add that call to the that, inside corner. He's yep. probably not in the Hall of Fame. Is I think the <laughs> point that you made is I think Dean Evison handles this really well most of the time in that he has the guys. We just got to keep playing. Just keep playing. Whether it's a guy that gets injured, a guy that's out of the lineup tonight, didn't get this call, didn't get that call. I think he has done a great job of eliminating that from the excuse. There aren't excuses. And after games, there are clearly times where he's been disappointed that they didn't get calls at, yeah. at a certain time in the game. But he hasn't let that bleed over to the guys. And I think you set a great example for that. It, it, got another question here, but I also, as you guys are coming up here, check out Josh Driver Photography. Josh is here tonight with some of his stuff. You can check it out on his website, joshdriverphotography.com. But stop up. Uh, he brings a lot of it out here. Great stuff. Stop and take a look at it as, you're, as you make your way up here tonight. Yeah, so question, kind of want to hear the difference. Yeah, so question, kind of want to hear the difference between former player and the others here. Preface well, there's this two by former s- players here. He, he's we'll be a nice and just call former, you other. Right, so, I'm other, right. He's a former yeah. player. We're going to stay former, too. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm going to stay never. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I'll preface this by saying, if your name's not Brodin or Kaprizov, I think you take the chance to get McKinnon off for five minutes every time. But do you think Dumba had to fight after that hit? I mean, did he have to fight? I, I mean, I, I don't know. I... I guess in today's rule, if you, if someone challenges you after a big hit, I guess you have to fight. I, I've never been a, a big fan of that whole thing, um, especially when it's a, it was a clean hit. Um, I, I always, if it's a, for me, if a, there's a penalty called and it's a dirty hit, then, then I, then on your I, next shift you might have to answer. You the might bell. have to answer the bell, but on on a clean hit where there was no penalty called, if somebody like for instance McKinnon came over and challenged Matt Dumba, for me. This is just me. I want an extra two-minute minor for the other player, just automatically, if it's a clean hit. That's it. Real I simple. Agree. We talked about this, in fact, I don't know if it was you and I or if it was Ryan Carter and I that talked about it, that I would like to see that. Yeah, it was you and Carts, because I remember you guys talking be, about it. I yeah. would like to see it be an automatic two minutes. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the two, five, and ten for the instigator, but an automatic extra two. If you skate over to the guy who made a legal hit and throw down your gloves and make him fight, he can fight you, but you're going to get a power play out of it. Different if it's a penalty. Yeah. Well, it's, pre- it's pretty easy to look. There's, there's 15 referees on the ice now today. If one of them's got their arm up, then I can go fight them. That's right. <laughs> All right. Do you have Speaking opinion? of, look at it. Look at it. Oh, here we go. Right. They're going. Yep. They're oh, going. I was brewing a minute ago. There's a Carolina-Washington game on TV here in the place, and Tom Wilson took a minor a little while ago that he didn't like. This was brewing. See, this is a 5-1 game here. The game's a little out of reach. Uh-oh, that, Wilson's a tough character. Yeah. Will Smith? No, I don't see any slapping. One in yeah, every crowd, yeah. ain't there? Yeah, right. You won't see any slapping in this, I promise. No. All right, do you have a question? Yeah, so my question, kind of going back to video replay, 
and this generation of NHL officials is being the younger crowd, the old guard is kind of retiring. So CCHA playoffs a couple weeks ago, Bemidji State, Minnesota State, Mankato. Yeah, crazy. Mankato scores three minutes into overtime. An hour later, the goal is overturned after more video replay. I mean, these guys are celebrating. These guys are getting they're dressed. They're cleaning these, the rink. They're, yeah, they're sweeping it up. Right. And all of a sudden, they bring it up. Luck, you know, Mankato hung on and won the game. But at what point, to Tim's point, the human element is being taken out of the game because you can, you can watch 100 replays and see. But if, if the future NHL referees are coming from the college ranks, working their way up, at what point does the human element need to take a front seat to the game. Yeah, the beauty of it is that's never going to happen in the NHL. Great, it's a great question, yeah. a great point. I mean, that was a bizarre situation. And I, I, I wasn't watching the game. I read about it the next day. And I can't believe that they went back and said, all right, we're going to bring the teams back in. The fans had all left the arena. The crew's in there. They're, they're the, four, the four janitors watched the, yeah, the, the next was five minutes. And, and they all of a sudden found a replay that they, they got it right. I mean, the goal yeah. didn't count or shouldn't that. have counted. But And I was glad that the same team ended up winning. The NHL, I think, does it pretty well where they take the time, they look at it, but once they make their decision, it's over and done with. I think they've got a pretty good handle on it right now with what they can and can't review, checking high sticking to make sure it was your own, the, the right guy's stick when yeah. you call a penalty, the delay a game with the puck going over the glass. They can look at that. The one thing that it, almost every coach that I've listened to or talked to this year they still are they can't figure out the goaltender interference part and and what constitutes goaltender interference or not but i think their actual review process is pretty good and, and they're quick they're efficient but they also try to get it right the board of governor meetings are right now is that one of the is that one of the things on the docket the the goaltender interference did you hear anything about I, that i don't that think is... it's specific to that but every year they talk about the replay system the yeah. replay and review system and you know, they changed last year the offside to the skate having to be on the ice or yeah. off the ice. And, and I like that. And it's, it, they get most of these right. It's, what's interesting, and I think the point that, the, about the younger officials coming up in a different era, what I think is interesting is will we see younger referees that will be less likely to blow a play, play dead for offside because if it's offside, he can go back and review it. If he blows it dead and it was onside, there's nothing you can do. So I wonder if officials will start in the back of their mind to think, if it's close, I'm just going to let it go and put the onus on the coach to challenge it. I don't know. I don't know if subconsciously they'll be wired that way or not. I'd be curious to talk to officials and see if they think that way because I think I would be if I was like, boy, that's no close. But if I blow the whistle, it's over, and there, there isn't like we can't go back and recreate the play. So it'll be interesting. You have a question? Does Prime West Walls make this wild team? Prime? Yes. Without a doubt, he does. Hey, I'll meet you in the parking lot. I'll give you a 20. I'll give you that 20 I told you I'd give you. Yeah. I, if I had to play today, I'd have to lock myself in a sauna for about th three months well, to not, get down not, to my playing not tomorrow. Not, yeah, not tomorrow. No, no. I will yeah, he say, makes this team. Yeah. It's you know they don't make them like this center. anymore. They don't make them like this anymore. Tyson Jost would be in trouble. Like, we we have to we have to fight for yeah. that. We might have, that might be a good scrap. Who, a little bit. Who it wouldn't be quite lineup, as good as that scrap you saw there with Smith and Wilson. Who has a game that's most similar to Wes Walls in his prime? Well, 
And if you say Kaprizov, then you can take no. the headset off and leave. Yeah, and leave, yeah. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, obviously, probably Erickson Eck. That's what I was thinking, yeah, too. Yeah, Erickson Eck. Um, Did you talk that much? He, t he likes to talk. No. He, he, That's the thing that, was com that is completely different from Erickson Eck than me. And I don't know if it was because... You think he talks? I think he just looks at people goofy. Well, he... I mean, I, I was never punching and pushing guys in the head. Like, I... He's punching and pushing guys in the head that are the best players in the world, right? I was smart enough to recognize I didn't want to piss any of those. My job was already hard enough playing against them. Why, why would I punch Joe Sackick in the head? And now I'm always, I got this little 37 punch me in the head. And I'm like, I'm going to light him up. Or Mike Madano or one of those guys. I'm like, so as a, as a, I was a skilled player when I was growing up. So I know how those guys are wired. And um, um, so, yeah, Erickson Eck. The one thing I will say, playing under Jacques Lemaire, uh, I wasn't allowed to go into the offensive zone below the top of the circles. <laughs> so Erickson Eck is allowed to actually beat down in the, uh, in the, in the offensive zone. So I, I, I'd like to think if I was allowed to play a different way, I would have probably got to 25, 30 goals maybe, but I never ever did get to 20 probably because I didn't, I didn't get very... The only time I got into the, uh, inside the top of the circles was when I had a breakaway, a shorthanded breakaway or something well, Did you like get that. seven shorties one season, didn't you? Yeah, that was the first year. That was the, the, that was the first year so I came back... So seven shorties, you still couldn't get to 20? Yeah, didn't get to 20. No, I, didn't, I wasn't allowed to play on the power play back then. He you can was, go ahead and put them alumni right. goals yeah. on the back of your yeah. car too, buddy. I think those are pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, last call for any questions. We should, we should probably wrap things up. It's been great. We appreciate the, the crowd tonight. Appreciate the questions. Some great conversation. Uh, we've got to have a drawing for our camping chair. Wes, you want to do the help them out here? I, Go ahead. I actually have a question. Oh, can yeah, you, ask the question first. Uh, how long did it take you to convert and say breezers instead of pants? Hockey pants, right? Yeah. How long? Uh... It hasn't happened yet. No, it has. I, I don't. He says it on air, and I'm I'm impressed. Yeah, no, I say breezers. No, it probably took two years. So, it, like it, our my first year with the Wild in 2000. My daughter was seven years old. She wanted to play hockey, and girls' hockey was not really kind of a thing yet. And it, actually, it was. And I wish I would have let her play. I didn't let her play till the second year, and I was disappointed that I didn't let her play just because hockey had gotten so popular. So. Uh, but yeah, yeah, sorry, getting off track. But getting back to the breezers, yeah, about about a year. And the reason it took me a year is because uh, you know whenever I'd say hockey pants, obviously the Americans are all over me, right? So, um, and I have five kids; they all played hockey, so I had a lot more reps, right, at the rink all the time. So I got out of that habit real quick. Thank you, all of you, for coming out tonight. We want to thank all of our sponsors on War Seats in the House. Josh Driver Photography. Stop and see him before you leave tonight. His stuff is great. Tria. Kowalski's Profile by Sanford Aquarius, Chris Lindahl Real Estate, Bosch Law Firm, and Minnesota Propane Association. Thanks very much. We'll see you next time. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never going to win. Oh, but the world won't forgive.